Hello and welcome to The Revolution Begins at Home, a podcast about activism, what it looks like and who gets to do it. My name is Chantelle Lewis. I'm a public sociologist and the co-founder and co-host of the Surviving Society podcast. Throughout this series, I'm going to be speaking to activists and advocates about their work. We'll be talking about what it means to be an activist, what it involves and how structures of power determine what we consider to be activism or worthy of an activist movement. Hello and welcome to the Revolution Begins at Home bonus reflections podcast. My name is Keris, uh, I'm the producer here at the Revolution Begins at Home and after each episode I'm going to be sharing a couple of things that the episode made me think about whilst I was helping to make it. I realise that as the producer it's generally not my job to say things but the truth is I have a lot of thoughts and there's not a whole lot of space in a half hour podcast so I thought I could have my own bit where I share them and I asked the producer if that was okay and they said yes because the producer is me. In the episode that this bonus episode is about, Chantelle, our wonderful host, talked to Keisha Wade-Speed, a 17-year-old activist working to end hair discrimination through the Halo Collective. They talked about hair discrimination, its impact, and the power of intergenerational communication and compassion, and I learned a lot from getting to sit in on that conversation. Personally, I've never experienced hair discrimination, because if you haven't already guessed from the beginning of the sentence, I am white. I would actually say that my experience with my hair is the little opposite of the kinds that Keisha and Chantal shared in their interview. I dye my hair a lot of different colours. I've spent several years cutting it myself, um, as well as this year just gone, of course, because of lockdown. And I've had some rough homemade haircuts in my time, but none of this has ever really been an issue. I've certainly never been told that my hair is inappropriate uh, at my school or workplace, even when my school had an explicit policy against dyed hair, because, as we heard in the episode, these policies aren't really about hair. My hair is still something that I think about a lot, though. Being queer, and I think especially being non-binary, I try to use my hair to signify certain things about me. I keep it short, for example. I try very hard to get haircuts that are coded as masculine. This isn't exactly effective. I feel like whatever haircut I ask for or attempt myself, I always end up looking like a 40-year-old divorcee who's getting over her husband through a fun haircut. And to be quite honest, I've made my peace with that. If my soul's inspiration board is a middle-aged woman with an asymmetric fringe and an armful of stories about why her ex is a bastard, then I am here for it. Anyway, my point is, I've had a lot of thoughts about hair and hairstyles, and so I was really grateful that Keisha spoke to us about the Halo Collective and the work that they do, because it gave me an opportunity to learn about hair and the value of hair from a different perspective to my own. So, what is the value of hair, and what is its role in activism? Well, one of the things that this episode really made me think about was our bodies, and our hair especially, as sites of protest. For a lot of people, in one form or another, the body is a site of oppression. We, by which I mean society, project onto our bodies, by which I mean our bodies, yours and mine, an idealised image of what we, again society, expect everyone to look like, and then we, that's all of us, you, me and society, enforce this through things like beauty standards or social conventions or uniform policies or, you know, actual literal laws. In the episode, Keisha and Chantal explored how hair perpetuates and enforces racism, texturism and colourism. 
I mean, when we look at things like the media, there are often really positive connotations looking at like lighter skinned people and on the opposite side of that it's like all of the negative things that come with being dark skin and come with having like 4c or more kinkier hair bigger lips and a bigger nose it's just not you're just not as appealing as your lighter skin counterparts Keisha explained how we have a hierarchy of hairstyles which was developed under colonialism and still today perpetuates the false ideology that white people are superior in the way that we look and behave and participate in society. Sort of over time we went from this idea that certain hairstyles were dirty and messy and bad because they were black people's hairstyles to black people who have these hairstyles are dirty and messy and bad. Through this process hair becomes an expression of prejudice. And we, again, as a society, use hair to enforce a lot of different values, the ones that Keisha talked about, as well as things like patriotism or modesty or maternalism. Because afros look unprofessional and boys shouldn't have long hair or painted nails, whereas women should have hair that their husbands like, right? It needs to be feminine and demonstrate the effort she is making to look pretty for the world and take up so much of her time that she can't do anything else, like gain financial independence, just as an example. Also, we do get to make fun of her for being so obsessed with something as trivial as her hairstyle, because that's a silly, girly thing to do. In some places, covering your hair and your face is against the law, and in other places, the opposite is true, because some people think it makes you untrustworthy and others immodest, and crucially, everyone else's comfort is more important in that space than your own. We all have to follow a certain set of rules that dictate what our hair has to look like, And those rules are different for different people because, again, it's not really about the hair. And some people have to follow more rules than others and are punished more severely when they break those rules because people do break the rules. And when everyone is telling you that your hair needs to look a certain way, you can use your hair to tell them that you are not participating in their systems of oppression. For example, in 1922, in Egypt, the feminist leader and suffragette Huda Sha'ari removed her veil in public and trampled it beneath her feet. She revealed her hair to the world around the same time that, in the US, women were making the scandalous decision to cut their hair short, and in doing so reject the cultural code that long hair equals femininity. Fast forward 40 years, and long hair became associated with hippies and the anti-war movement, and was used to push back against military haircuts, and this time, representations of masculinity. This was all happening at a time when Kathleen Cleaver famously explained how she wore her hair in an afro because it was natural and because it was beautiful. And today, the hair and the head remain a powerful site of protest. In 2019, Monireh Abashahi, Yazaman Ariani and Mojgan Keshavaz were arrested for removing their veils and handing out flowers on a train in a fight for the freedom to choose what to wear. Just earlier this year, and a few miles from me in London, students at Pimlico Academy gathered to protest new uniform policies that punish students with Afro hairstyles and limited the self-expression of students who wear hijabs. The school claimed that Afros might block the view of people seated behind them, placing a hypothetical discomfort above the right of black students to grow their hair naturally. The idea that some people's hair is a kind of collective property, partially owned by a society that gets to weigh in on how it should be styled and what it should look like, persists to this day. Perhaps this is why hair is a site of protest. But maybe it's because we also all have hair, or heads at least, As far as sites of protest go, our scalp is pretty close. It's something that people even with limited power can exercise control over. That's something that Britney Spears potentially most famously demonstrated way back in 2007. Cutting your hair or growing it from your armpits or whatever you want to do with it can be a bold and simple and empowering act because embedding a protest into your hairstyle is a reclamation of bodily autonomy that goes way beyond what you end up looking like. 
listening to the history of the Halo Collective, the way that it's evolved and developed as an organisation, the approach it has chosen and the response it has received, has made me think a lot about how using your body to protest is hard work. So the Halo Collective is basically an activism group that is composed of black young people who all in some way have some experience with hair discrimination or being told by different authoritative members maybe in their school or workplace that they can't have their hair a specific way. If you think about it it's a place that you can't really leave. If you go to a march or a demonstration and it weighs you down you can take a break, go lie in a dark room somewhere, sleep in your own bed and get up in the morning and decide whether or not you want to go back. But if your protest is your hair, it can be harder to leave that protest. You're literally carrying it around with you on your head all the time. And if your school tells you that the way your hair grows naturally is wrong, then there's not really much you can do about it. Sure, you can choose to change your hairstyle by cutting it or paying someone to chemically relax it, but you can't change the way that it grows. And so you can't really escape from the fact that your school is telling you that the way that you grow naturally is wrong. So, I think having this protest in the space of your own body also brings about a different kind of toll. It must take a lot to come back up against that kind of criticism again and again. This is why it was disheartening to hear Chantal and Keisha talk about the way that the work of the Halo Collective has been dismissed by some, as if focusing a movement on hair is somehow trivial. People will say, like, oh, so what? You're discriminated on because of your hair. So what? No one's dying. Like, you're completely fine. I mean, it was disheartening in general to hear Keisha's experience of being a young organiser and being kind of dismissed outright purely because of her age. But on top of that, hearing that people don't really buy this as a cause because it was just hair was doubly saddening. Don't get me wrong, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that people have looked at a group of young girls working to end hair discrimination and maybe thought, of course, all that teenage girls care about is their hair. But I think that the Halo Collective has done a lot of work to show why this is not just about hair. We literally have done the studies, we've done the research to show that those black children, especially in schools who are discriminated upon because of their hair type, have less chances of succeeding even in their like final exams because they're being taken out of their classes, they're being condemned for literally no reason. It obviously affects your self-esteem. And also to show that actually this is about hair and that's okay because hair is important. Because as we heard in the episode, hair is not just hair. It is a tool of self-expression, it is also a tool of oppression. It's really important that people feel comfortable and empowered in their bodies, and that's why this kind of work is so vital. It's not that it's not just about hair, but that it is about hair, and hair is an important battleground where things like racism and texturism and colorism can be unpicked and disempowered. And so it is important not to trivialise this work or devalue it, because maybe the reason we are devaluing it and trivialising it is because we devalue and trivialise girls and the amount of work and thought and care that goes into hairstyling. I think the Halo Collective have demonstrated that this is a fight worth having, and a difficult fight to have. It is something that we all have to participate in, by going on their website and reading about the Halo Code, and working out if you can adopt it in your workplace or at your school, by talking to people, by hearing stories, by sharing stories, by reading the stories that the Halo Collective has collected, by doing this work through education and compassion. What I've learnt from helping to make this episode, and what I hope that you have learnt also, is that dressing in the way that best expresses you, wearing your hair in the way that you most feel comfortable, showing who you are through your body, this can be a form of activism. It's one that you can do from home, in public, by yourself, as part of a collective every day, or just on the particular occasions when it's safe. 
If you want to get involved and help end hair discrimination, there are lots of great resources at halocollective.co.uk. Thanks for listening to the Revolution Begins at Home bonus reflections podcast. If you enjoyed it, you should check out other podcasts supported by Content is Queen. This podcast was presented by myself, Karis Bradley. Many thanks to Chantelle and Keisha for their great conversation, which you can listen to in last week's episode. Thanks also to Amanda Morgan for her help and advice. The music for this podcast is from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.